0: Your boy, and welcome to episode 52 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a minute, rate and review the show. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others should listen. And if you can, think of at least one person in your life who you think would like the podcast and send them your favorite episode. Happy birthday to the podcast. Today is nine eleven Never forget, and this marks the one year anniversary from the day that uh, I recorded what would become the pilot episode of the podcast. If you go back and listen to episode zero, you'll hear it. We recorded it on nine eleven and here it is three hundred sixty five days later, or something like that. And um, I don't think this was a leap year, right? but regardless, one year has passed, we've gone one revolution around the sun, and uh, here we find ourselves not only fifty two episodes deep into the podcast we've traversed a shit ton of ground, um, maybe it would even behoove me at some point to go back and just sort of listen to all the episodes. I, I definitely probably fucking won't, but, uh, I think what I'm trying to say is, uh, we've come a long way and, uh, you know, I don't know. I just feel when I sit down to, to do this thing, despite some occasional hiccups and, you know, it is what it is. It's a stream of consciousness and, and things just sort of happen how they, hap- how they happen, Um I just, uh, I'm really glad that we have done the, been consistent about this. I'm glad that we've been able to put up an episode every week, and uh, I'm just really grateful that people continue to listen. Uh, literally, like 30 minutes ago, I, I got a text from a coworker of mine, who I really haven't seen in like a year, and that's going to sound strange, but there's, it's just the nature of my employment. It is possible to go a long time without seeing some of your. Um, your coworkers, and he just sent me a message, you know, saying, "Hey, congratulations on on getting to fifty one episodes." And uh, it was just really touching that he continued to listen. And uh, I want to extend that gratitude uh, to the people who continue to listen uh, now, you folks. And uh, we're um, we're few, but we're proud. And uh, I got to be honest, I don't look at the at the data too much, but when I do have a peek, I do see you know, these cohorts of people kind of moving through the episodes and, um, and uh, it just means a lot. And so thank you for tuning in and thank you for continuing to listen. Um, you know, I was just trying to reflect, I mean, when I, when I started the podcast a year ago, I was just beginning school. I think it was like a, you know, probably a couple of weeks into my first semester back at school after not going for eight years or actually maybe like 12 years actually. And, um, uh, you know, I had been sort of practice recording and recording, like, you know, I, I think I'd recorded like a dozen or two dozen, I don't even remember, just sort of practice episodes, just me, you know, recording for like an hour and just talking. And uh, it was on 9-11 a year ago that I recorded the episode that became the pilot. And uh, God, the world is in a completely different fucking place in a lot of ways, obviously, right? Uh, I mean, we still have Trump, but uh, we've had the pandemic. California is on fucking fire. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, that movement continues uh, to escalate, which is great. George F- uh, George Floyd. <clears throat> so many world events have happened, and um, it just feels... I mean, it's cliche to call these times unprecedented, but we are clearly living in a momentous uh, period of history. And, um, you, you know... Um, It's hard to say what the future is going to hold, but, you know, there is that duality of of feeling kind of lucky to live at a time where important events are happening, but um, also feeling powerless in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the news, but um, the skies here in the the Bay Area are fucking insane. If you Google San Francisco Blade Runner, someone created this video, they had flown a drone around San Francisco. The sky is a couple of days ago, it's been relatively clear the last couple of days, uh, compared to what it was. I mean, it's still smoky as, as all fuck, but the sky is just like bright orange and it was insane. It was, it, it it's, it's, it literally felt apocalyptic. It, it felt like you had woken up on the surface of Mars. It was like living in a completely different fucking planet for the day. And, uh, my alarm went off at nine o'clock and it was still pitch black inside my apartment. And I was like, I was convinced you know, is this some kind of fucking uh, spring back, fall forward kind of thing? And, uh, you know, is there just something wrong with my phone for some reason? Is it just sort of miscalibrated and it's really like two in the morning, but my, it, you know, it, it it thinks it's nine o'clock or something like that. And uh, just sort of stuck my head outside and just could not believe what my eyes were seeing in a lot of ways. It really felt surreal um, to be that dark and to have the sky that sort of bright orange, that sort of deep orange color. was very, very spooky. And it was so fucking strange that, you know, I had to do a couple things for work in the morning. And then at about 1130, I was just incredulous that the sky still looked the way it did, that it was still so dark outside. And so I got in my truck and I started driving around the area. And it's fucking crazy to be driving around at 1130 or noon and have your headlights on. And when you look up into the sky it was literally the smoke was so dense you literally couldn't even see the disc of the sun you know it wasn't just an overcast day where you can still see you know the disc of the sun and you might even be able to look look at it straight on it's so dense you literally couldn't even see the sun in the sky and it was just it was just insane and uh um showed up to one of my remote classes later that day my biology lecture and was just hearing from some of the older people in that class who lived there here their whole life and have just said they've never seen anything like that before, uh, in their entire time here. And, um, as bizarre as it looked, I mean, grateful that the air quality, uh, is as good as it is, not that it's great, it's pretty, pretty awful, but, um, you know, that we're still living relatively comfortably. And, um, you know, that at least the area I live in has been untouched by the fires, even though they are pretty nearby. <sighs> and it was sort of strange. My girlfriend and I went uh, camping again last week, and we're actually going again next week. But right uh, toward the end of the weekend, uh, as we were going into the Labor Day weekend, um, you know, my girlfriend's getting stir crazy, and it comes up all the time that she wants to, you know, she's bored. She's tired of sheltering in place. She's tired of the monotony, and uh, it's important for her to to find things to do that are stimulating. And so at the last minute, I just sort of looked online at the state parks and was just looking for a campsite in the area. And I couldn't be a, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but just something something to get out uh, and, and, uh, and, and drive to, really. And uh, in um, Clear Lake State Park, which is up near Lakeport in Lake County, California, it's about two and a half hours north of here, there was this one campsite left at the state park up there. And so very, we just sort of scrambled to get our stuff together, uh, rented a sleeping pad from REI for myself. I actually ended up buying one. Actually, I just picked it up today, frankly. Um, but, uh, we got up there and I don't know, we're fucking cursed, man. It's like record heat both weekends that we go out to camp. And as we're driving up there, we're looking at the weather report. It's, the, the it's it's a hundred and five fucking degrees outside, and the truck that I drive is old there's no a c and I gotta tell you man that drive up there was fucking harrowing and um uh we leave first thing in the morning by the time we get there it's fucking just unbelievably hot uncomfortably hot and already i'm kind of like i'm not, i'm actually kind of feeling a little faint, you know. Like we are, you know, we're drinking tons of water and yet even then it's just the heat is so oppressive. And I don't know what, I think it's partly just being bald now, but I just feel really heat sensitive. I overheat very easily. And I think I've always run hot in general, but if I'm out in the sun for too long, I get this like vein on the side of my fucking head. I get a headache and it's like at some point I just got to lay down and close my eyes. And uh, so I was feeling a little, I don't know. It was not comfortable. I'll put it that way. But, uh, we ended up renting a kayak and spending about an hour and a half, maybe two hours out on Clear Lake, which was nice. Just kind of paddling around and kind of soaking up the sun. And, uh, finally get to the campsite and we're kind of dismayed. I mean, it it sounds horrible to say this now that I've been talking about the fires and the smoke conditions, but as we pull up to the state park, we see a big sign that says, you know, red flag, no fires. And we're like, fuck. Because just like when we went to, uh, is it Big Basin? Where the fuck were we the other week that burned down? Um, the food that we brought needed to be cooked. And also, I mean, aside from the practical thing of like, oh, I got to cook this food that I have, If I, my favorite part about camping is the fire, you know? Like, I, I don't know if your experience is like mine, but when I go camping, it's like I toss and turn, you know? It's like for the first couple hours, it's not, I, what I'm saying is you don't get a great night's sleep, <laughs> You know, you sort of toss and turn for a couple hours. Eventually, you kind of pass out and you wake up kind of uncomfortable, you know. But for me, the enjoyable part is getting the fire going, making making some food, making some s'mores whatever. But that quiet time, you know, when the sun goes down, it's night. You're sitting in the dark in the woods with the fire going and you're just kind of meditating. You know, you're just kind of digging the vibe. That's kind of the dream right there. And the fact that I wasn't going to be able to do that was... Kind of disappointing, and we kind of had the same conversation we had uh, when we were in. I'm just gonna say Big Basin because I for because I'm. It's late. It's fucking crazy. I can't recall. Oh, what the state park is, but um. But uh, we even had a conversation where we were thinking, "Hey, do we just want to like t- turn the ship around and just fucking go home if we're not gonna be able to have a fire?" Um, but thankfully we decided to push through, and even though the heat was oppressive, record heat wave. Um there was like a swimming area in the state park in the lake there so swam in the lake for about an hour cooled down uh got back to the campsite we ended up having to go to a restaurant and getting takeout food and taking it back to the campsite which felt super fucking lame but um you know went for a went for a little walk around the park ended up uh spending the night in the tent which was uh, actually pretty comfortable um And as cloudy as it was during the day, for some reason at night, it kind of cleared up at least to the extent when we were in our tent, you know, we were actually kind of tucked away, which was perfect. The the campsite that we happened to get that happened to be free was really the best campsite in this sort of plotted area. Everybody else was just kind of fucking so close together. It would have been, it really would have been actually even more uncomfortable. And, uh, but wherever we were, we had this kind of clearing area that was kind of tucked away into the woods, but we could see right up into the sky and you could see the stars in the sky. So, um, from inside the tent and, um, it was nice. And so, uh, we are actually going camping, uh, next weekend and, uh, maybe I should wait to tell you, (laughs) uh, until I get back, but, uh, we're going nearby and, um, (sighs) yeah, so that's good. Um, it's nice to have something like that that we've been doing recently and can ostensibly continue to look forward to doing as long as the fires don't get uh, uh, too out of control. Because, um, like I said, my girlfriend's just getting uh, stir crazy and the monotony is, is really getting to her. And so um, having something like this where we can do and kind of shake things up is um, is helpful. I got to be honest with you, I feel bad. It's like... Friday night here. It's the end of a long day for me. I spent so much time working <clears throat> and I had so much schoolwork to do. I had like an entire chapter of statistics homework to do and I, I took a test and, and thankfully I nailed it uh, on the first try. Everything's fucking remote or whatever. But um, but uh, it's kind of late here now. It's like 9.45 here on a Friday. I'm sitting here with my, sorry, I'm sitting here with my N.A. beer my, uh, non-alcoholic beer here and it's making me burp obviously. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was literally just, before I fired this up, well, two things, I guess. I got a text from, uh, dude, did I literally just fucking mention this? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is late. I was saying I got a text from a coworker of mine who still listens to the podcast. So, I, I think I may have mentioned that. So, never mind. But um, um, also before this, I was having something to eat and watching uh, Being John Malkovich. And um, what a fucking great movie. There's some movies that just kind of hit you. Um, like when you're young, when you're about 16 or whatever, you have that sort of formative creative period of your life where... Um, you're kind of discovering film for the first time. You're kind of discovering certain types of music for the first time. And you have that canon of creative influences um, uh, that just are, re- are really formative for you. And when it comes to movies, obviously I really got into movies around that time and film. <clears throat> Being John Malkovich was was one of those movies for me. And I don't think it did... I, like I don't think it was a huge success when it came out. Not that I know for a fact, but I don't think it was a huge success when it came out. But... Um, it hit me really hard as just like a young creative person. Like I just thought it was a great concept and it always sort of stuck with me. And I, I you know, I, I remember having it on DVD and it was just one of those go-to movies that I could watch any time and just kind of feel like I was in the presence of art. And uh, I sort of should have anticipated this because every time Netflix releases a bunch of movies by a single director or a screenwriter or a filmmaker, you know they're coming out with something else. And I I fucking didn't see it coming, but I've, you know, being John Malkovich, I saw that it was up. It's been winking at me for a while. And then just the other night I tune in and there's this new movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And this is Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter and director's new, new film. And so, without even thinking about it, I just sort of pop it on. Like, I, it's the end of the night. I see the banner and I say, all right, I'm sold. And I got to say, man, the first 20 minutes are so good. I was really riveted. It was like exciting. You know, as a fan of film, I'm always looking for the next thing that like really hits me, you know? And it was like, I was so excited to be in the presence of fucking art. You know what I mean, like there are some movies that just start, and whether it 's the cinematography or the dialogue or whatever, you just know that you 're watching a real film, and it was like, "Oh shit, man, this is exactly what i what I fucking want." The dialogue was subtle, the direction was interesting um, it just i don 't know it was just building i don 't know you know what I was thinking of it like it was making a promise it was very intriguing it was sort of reeling you in it was subtle and it was sort of increasing this um i don't know if you want to call it magical realism or the surrealism or whatever but you know these oddities and there was just this sense that there's a there's a mystery here that's slowly unraveling that uh will you know it was a promise it was like oh like i i was i was i just felt like i was being told look at this interesting riddle that we're slowly presenting you and that will all make sense in the end. And as the fucking movie goes on, it just gets weirder and weirder. And it just fucking, it just fucking floats off into fucking artsy fartsy la la land. And by the end of it, it's so laughably pretentious at parts that it just, I don't know, man, I really didn't like it. And I don't, I don't know. I don't want to draw too many conclusions or connect too many dots here, but it's like Synecdoche, New York. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But the, the, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman film that was directed, I think it was actually Charlie Kaufman's first directed movie. Um, but anyway, that was another film that was like a very interesting concept. And yet as it was executed, it just, it didn't feel <laughs> wholly satisfying. And this film was like, for me, it was like that to the nth degree. And the beginning was so great. It, I, I was just, I was like, I don't know, I was really thrilled for a while. And then it just fucking just went on and on. And it was so tedious. And I think it was actually pretty long. I think it was like a full two hours long, which is a pretty good length for a feature. But um, yeah, pretty underwhelmed about that. And I think I'm thinking about this because, uh, well, obviously, I was just watching Being John Malkovich, but... It also reminds me of last week's podcast where I was talking about this I guess difference between uh the art I consume and the art I create and really the podcast specifically like the types of podcasts I listen to are not highbrow they're very you know lowbrow humor like your mom's house podcast or whatever and uh but I I mean I I it's 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 great it's great for me and um but this podcast is cerebral and contemplative, and I'm sort of just like talking about, you know, my thoughts and whatever, and I'm sort of musing on art or whatever the fuck, and um, uh, and so, well, as I'm talking about it now, I just want to like beat myself up about that, but um, there was something about watching this movie that just... I think I was saying, you know, nobody likes someone who's smarter than them. Ah, this is what I was thinking. I was using Norm MacDonald's statement, uh, comparing Bill Maher and, like, David Letterman, um, that nobody likes someone who's smarter than them. And Bill Maher wants to be seen as smart. If he happens to be funny, great. But um, ultimately, you get the sense when you see his work that what he wants the audience to think is that he's smart, and probably smarter than them. Whereas Norm MacDonald was observing that David Letterman is someone who actually is very smart, but also understands from a comedic perspective to be funny you need to play the everyman, right? Because nobody likes someone who's smarter than them. In fact, they like people who make them feel smart. And I think I was hyper-conscious of this as I was watching this new movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is like, I felt dumb, you know? And I really felt acutely, especially at the beginning of the film, because I was sort of connecting dots and making sense of things and sort of filing things away to make sense of later. And as the film went on, it just got more and more convoluted. And it was almost like, you know, I don't think anyone articulates it this way. But it was like the movie was like made to make me feel stupid. And it also, it brings, there's oh man, there's a couple things here. It brings me back to David Lynch, right? I was talking about this this idea that I heard David Lynch say recently in a video that was presented to me on YouTube um, and I, I later learned recently that this is actually the, the premise of a book that he wrote, which I wasn't aware of, but, um, he was talking about creative ideas are fish and you have to sort of catch them. But it also made me just think about David Lynch, which is like his world and his films are very surreal and they are a mystery. And when you watch a movie like Mulholland Drive, you, there are moments that you understand and there's a lot of it you don't fucking understand. But David Foster Wallace also made this great observation about Blue Velvet in particular, which is that when you're watching that film, even the absurd things that happen that don't make any fucking sense, like a guy getting shot and being dead, but just standing there and not falling over, within the Lynchian universe, it makes perfect fucking sense. Like, you don't really question it. Like, you notice it's absurd, you you don't know how to make sense of it, and yet in this ecosystem, it, it, it sort of seems to fit. And, you know, I know these are intangible sort of ephemeral things, but my takeaway as a creative person is that, oh, that was a genuinely inspired idea, right? It wasn't a fully, it wasn't just a cerebral idea. It wasn't um, uh, an affectation. It wasn't just adornment, you know? It was literally part of the the wellspring of Lynch's uh, creative mind, right? Like, this just made sense um, and it doesn't need to be explained. Like, when you're in the presence of art, r- real art, you you get the feeling that you can just sort of trust it, right? And it's not something you, you choose to do. It just sort of ushers you along um, just by its own reasoning and its own, it, the sense that it makes unto itself or something like that. <clears throat> and I know this film is based on a book. Um, I'm thinking of ending things. But it just felt so ridiculous and didn't make sense and in a way it sort of reminded me of lost which is like oh this is just a mystery that who gives a fuck where it leads right um it just again I, as i was watching it i just had this feeling like it was making promises to me that at some point i would feel smart here i am noticing things filing things away feeling intrigued um and i wanted the payoff of making sense of things i wanted the catharsis but it just leads you down into fucking more, you know, silliness and weirdness. And, um, you know, it just, it, 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 it just was crying out to be like, I'm a puzzle, solve me. And it was like, nobody has fucking time for this shit, man. Like it just, there was something about its ambition, you know, and I'm kind. I'm kind of trying to think of a a a, a comparable word. That's a pejorative, right? Because ambition sounds good, but there's there's something about its ambition that was anachronistic, right? Like maybe this movie would have made sense if it came out in the early 2000s. But this is a this is a film on Netflix, right? There is uh, plenty of other options on fucking Netflix, and it's like I know you sound like a cretin or um or a philistine for saying this, but it's like. There's plenty of other things I could be watching that are going to make me feel good, right? Or that are going to be satisfying or that are going to be guaranteed to be entertaining. I don't want to sit and just sort of marinate in the murky mystery of your fucking supposed uh, movie masterpiece. You know what I mean? Like, fuck this. Like, it's, it's annoying and it, and it makes me angry. And so, um, there was something about that. And I, holy shit, man. I didn't do this consciously, but you know what I did, like, the other night? I watched that movie, and I think the next night, as I was getting ready for bed, I started watching Inception, which, you know, Christopher Nolan is another filmmaker that I really like, and I, I, you know, it feels weird to be talking about Kaufman and Nolan, because they're also kind of, like, your very obvious, on-the-nose go-to sort of, like, film school, kind of like, oh, if you're into film, you're supposed to like these people, but if you were, the real Jedi perspective is that you're not supposed to like them. But I love Christopher Nolan, except for I haven't seen Insomnia, and I actually haven't seen um, uh, Dunkirk either. Um, uh, And Interstellar actually wasn't that good. So, I don't know, maybe I'd have to qualify this, because I'm actually not a huge fan of the Dark Knight movies either. So, hmm. But his Original films. Actually, I should put it this way. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Maybe I should say I'm a huge fan of M- Memento, and I'm a huge fan of Inception. And even though as you watch Inception more, the writing um, is a little strange because it's so expository. It has to relay so much information, it feels silly. And yet, there's something about the sum of what that movie is, especially visually, especially with the sound design. Um and just conceptually, that is so fucking cool and so and so genuinely smart. And it is a mystery. You know, even now, you know, uh, spoiler alerts for a movie that fucking came out uh, probably over 10 years ago at this point, right? I think Inception's like 2008 or 9 or something like that, but... um but, you know, it's the sort of dream within a dream thing. And at the very end of the film, it sort of leaves open this idea of whether or not Leonardo DiCaprio's character is in a dream or if he's returned to reality. And as I watch the film more and more, it's like I sort of pick up on these theories as I'm watching that seem to play out. And like most recently, there's um, uh, – what is the actress's name? She was from Juno, like Paige something page um her character's name is Ariadne which is a fucking horrible name for a character but um but um like the entire time I was watching it I was like oh I wonder if Saito the Japanese dude from Inception I wonder if he like paid her to like in like do inception on Leonardo DiCaprio and like as I was watching this film I was just uncovering, like seeing all these like cues that maybe that was the case and I don't know maybe it's fucking silly but I'm sure someone's has solved the riddle of inception somewhere online but um the point I'm trying to make is inception was a fucking blockbuster movie right that you can just sort of let wash over you and it's a genuinely entertaining film right like the first time I saw it I had like downloaded I had torrented a copy I had downloaded like an illegal copy and I remember watching it on my fucking laptop of all things but I had my headphones in I had these sort of big headphones that I had sort of plugged into my computer. And I turned down the lights. I fucking just was sitting in the dark with fucking Inception and the fucking sound and everything from the opening shot of those waves crashing. I was fucking in, you know, I hadn't even heard a word of fucking dialogue and I was into this fucking movie. And when they explain, you know, they sort of, um, uh, explain the concept to you, right? Dream within a dream, extraction, inception, I was I was fucking in from the get-go, and it was like, whatever this movie shows me, I'm fucking all in on the concept, right? Uh, uh, disbelief completely fucking suspended, right? I'm just in on the fucking concept. And uh, as far as like big Hollywood movies go, I fucking love that movie. And I've probably I probably seen it like, at, I don't know, at least half a dozen times. And dude, I'm embarrassed to say this, but the ending of Inception, I can literally, I, I, dude, I cry every time I see the ending of it, Inception. And I don't know why that is. I'm sure there's some Freudian, uh, you know, I don't know. There's, there's some deep meaning there, right? There's, there's something about the drama that plays out in this, in that movie that hits me hard in a way that I don't have, I don't fully have access to, right? Um... But, uh, like, literally, I could, like, just fire up Inception on my computer and watch the ending, and I would still feel this wellspring of emotion. And I think it's, um, I I think a lot of it is the score, right? Like, I think the music for Inception is phenomenal. But, um, anyway, I didn't start talking about this to gush about Inception. Um, I think I was just trying to say you know, not that this is the rubric for your decisions or should be the rubric for your decisions, because I think I have a counterpoint to this also as I'm thinking about it. But, you know, as an audience member, you don't want to feel dumb. And the most recent uh, Kaufman film, uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, makes me feel fucking stupid. And it's not that it doesn't make sense. It probably does, but I'm not going to fucking sit there and figure it out, right? And it's like, Um, you know, like, David Lynch's films are a mystery, and people spend a lot of time with them. I don't even think that David Lynch understands what his fucking movies are about on some level. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I heard an interview of Laura Dern, who's, like, in, in a couple of Lynch movies, one of his, uh, you know, leading lady crushes or whatever, but, um, you know, she would show up to script and say things like, he would just hand them pages, and, like, they didn't even know what the fucking movie they were making was, right? They just sort of see the edit and go, well, okay, that was the movie we were making. Um... But uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore except that uh Inception good, Lynch good. Kaufman's latest film not so good. And um so yeah, where am I going with all this? I don't know. I think it sort of brings me uh, brings me back to something I've even talked about on this podcast, which is on the one hand creating what you want and also considering your audience. And I, I go back and forth on this concept, you know, should you consider your audience when you create things? And on some level, I I think you have to. Um, and, and, and I, I, you know, I can't say this dogmatically. I can only speak from my own experience and from my own values, but I think clarity when it comes to art is very important. And I don't mean that things can't be challenging and I don't mean that things can't be confusing. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, for, for me, I value clarity. And for me, the real struggle of the creative process is to convey things that are complicated in a way that you can be understood, right? And trying to find those moments where you can even um, show uh, somebody something that they themselves have been wrestling with. Because it's, it's that sort of intangible thing, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a, we're, we're talking about emotions, usually we're dealing with psychology. And, you know, those moments in film and art where you sort of see something, you see yourself in it, right? And sometimes in surprising ways. Um, You, uh, you know, see something that you've been wrestling with presented very clearly, you know, in a way that is um, uh, sort of poignant. Like, to me, that is the creative work, right? It's, It's specificity, you know? It's not just being a sad song or a love song. It's about, pinpointing specific moments and conveying them clearly. That to me is like the aim of, you know, what I've tried to do creatively at times, I think. And um, and where am I going with all that? Um, so I value that when I see it. And so uh, f- what feels like no reason at all, I've been thinking about Jonathan Blow recently. And I've talked about Jonathan Blow on the podcast. Sorry, I'm punching the mic here. I've talked about Jonathan Blow on the podcast, uh, who's the, uh, he's a game designer, he created Braid, but he also created my favorite fucking game of all time, The Witness, which is a uh, kind of open world, first person puzzle game um, that to me is just brilliant. It really takes gaming and raises it to the level of high art. And, uh, I'm not a gamer, right? But I've, I've been talking about, I've been thinking about video games and, and I, I certainly every once in a while I'll f- find one that I enjoy. They're usually kind of puzzle games. Um, but the witness to me is, is, um, uh, it's just really profound and it's a very big game. I think it took like six years or maybe even six and a half years to make. And, um, and uh, it's just, it's so deep, and it is challenging, and it, it's, and in some ways, it's not clear. Um, there's no clear narrative, or I don't think anyone can kind of, can, can sort of cobble together like a cohesive lore for the game, but it's just so deep, and you can play the game and walk through it, and, and, and quote, finish the game, and feel like you've gotten everything that, you know, you just, you finished the game, and you can walk away from it, and yet, what you may not realize, is that there's a whole other level to the game that really depends on the power of your observation. And really, the ex- even if you, once you observe this aspect of the game, how deep you want to pursue it. Um, and, you know, for, for people who find this, you know, I, I don't want to call it a plot twist, because it's, it's just a logical extension of the game itself. But the thing that you very well miss when you play the game is actually bigger than the game itself. And when you think about that, it's fucking mind-boggling. You know, when you think about like a manpower thing or a development thing or a, a coding thing, you know, it would be like, it would be like making a movie that people sit through. And you know how sometimes like, especially at the end of like these comic book movies, they'll have some sort of little sting at the end that sort of is uh, pointing to the next film, but it's it's like a minute and a half long or maybe like 30 seconds. What if... At the end of your hour and 45 minute movie, the credits rolled and for people who sat to the end of it, there's a fucking eight hour movie after that, right? Um, Or CDs used to do this, right? They would have secret tracks. There'd be like 15 or 20 minutes of silence and there'd be like another song at the end of the album. Um, What if it was a fucking entire box set that was fucking hidden after the album? That's basically what The Witness... um, contains. And what the fuck... Dude, why am I talking about this? Um, I don't know. A couple things to bring it back. I think, you know, I've talked about when you're kind of barking up the right tree or you're kind of where you're supposed to be creatively or, or mentally, things start to line up. You know, I've talked about this idea of David Lynch and fishing for big ideas. I was literally... I've just been thinking about The Witness, not playing it, just thinking about it. And... I've been like looking at videos of the, of, the, of the game designer, Jonathan Blow, just sort of talking because I've seen videos of that sort in the past, right? I've, I've enjoyed not just the game, but I enjoy him as a thinker, right? And even though I know nothing about game design or coding, he also has these hour-long videos where he's just working on his new game and talking about coding and shit. I, I literally don't understand, but it's just fascinating for me to hear, even if it's in the background, someone talking about something that they're very passionate about and they know a lot about. And I happened to stumble on a talk of his where he talks about how to do deep work, deep creative work. And he talks and articulates something that I've sort of experienced for myself, right? Which is this, he talks about a personified muse, which is something we've talked about here on the podcast. Um, uh, He talks about, uh, uh, he invokes this David Lynch idea, fishing for ideas. This is how I learned that this was actually tied to a David Lynch book, but these weird moments of connection you know, um these things that feel disparate that you happen to be thinking about, and to see them kind of come together in that way um, it just it really feels magical, you know, and I'm not a religious person, obviously, <clears throat> but these are the times in my life where I feel you know I feel like I'm in touch with that numinous right that spiritual something that everything happens for a reason, you know it feels like things are kind of. I don't know. You're letting the cosmos kind of do the work it needs to do on you. And, and it's almost like you feel this voice summoning you you forward. Like, oh yes, pursue this, pursue this, pursue this idea. Because it is, I don't know, it's, it's sort of building its own momentum, right? Like these disparate ideas that you're sort of sitting with and calling with, you realize, oh, they kind of come together, you know? You almost feel like a kindred spirit with this creative person because, there's sort you you feel like you're both playing in the same sandbox and sort of finding the same things. Um, I do have to say though, it, it's also kind of, it's kind of, it kind of hurts in its own way too because, you know, here I am sitting hearing Jonathan Blow speak and uh, say things that I've sort of thought myself and And, uh, you know, he's doing it from a stage and he has an audience and here he has this masterpiece of a fucking game behind him that is, you know, a piece of high art that's, you know, celebrated or whatnot. And, you know, speaking his, uh, his ethos or whatever, and and I feel so aligned with it. And yet I'm watching it from my fucking studio in the Bay Area, while I'm attending junior college after not being a successful musician, right? So, I feel like, damn, what, what didn't I do with these creative insights? Like, here I am hearing things that I think and feel very deeply uh, sort of parroted back to me from the mouth of someone who's very successful in their field, and yet I'm thinking, oh, I'm you. Oh, I am this person, and yet I'm not. It's been hard in my life when I feel that I connect to different people who are successful and who are creative and I feel, finally, I've met someone like me, right? Because we start to talk and I feel like, oh, this dude's the real fucking deal. And yet, I'm not successful like them. It's very confusing, Oh, again, it, it go, I go back to this idea that the only person standing in, in my own way is myself, you know? You know, and sometimes it just makes me think, oh, well, what is all this insight for that I have? You know, all these creative insights, all this, whatever, What? what is it for? How am I using it effectively? And is it possible to have all the answers and still not be successful? I guess so. Man, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny, too, because Jonathan Blow is talking about in this talk about doing deep work, I, I don't know how you could find it. You, you could probably find it on YouTube if you wanted to, but, you know, as much as he talks about how to do deep work, he says, how do you not do deep work, <laughs> right? Like, if these are the things you have to do to try to create deep work, what are the things that will stand in the way of doing deep work? And one of them he's, is he says, which makes perfect sense is, uh, and I feel it in my own life, is to chase success, right? Uh, to use success as the benchmark for for letting you know that what you're doing is right. And in some ways, this actually comes back to the idea that I was talking about earlier of considering your audience, which is, and clarity, which is, you know, Jonathan Blow has made this game The Witness that is very deep. It is very fucking deep. And yet, he has had to think very, and it, and it is um, not clear. It is a it is a mystery. It's a deep mystery. The entire island itself that you are sort of this open world island that you're solving these puzzles on is a mystery. And as much as there is meaning, as much meaning as you can find there and as many dots as you can connect and and whatever you can intuit, and you can intuit a great deal and have, feel like you have a fairly good sense of what's going on, you never know. You're never given enough to really give you that... Um. I think he described it as that cocaine hit of like when you 100% a game, right? Where you've unlocked all the secrets and all that sort of stuff. It just is. And no matter how deep you go, you just get the sense that there could be more. And, and, and in some ways, that's why I like the game because it feels like life. But, um, you know, Jonathan Blow, to create that, has had to think very deeply about how to be clear in many other aspects of the game, right? And especially in a puzzle game, you have to be very clear, especially a non puzzle game where there's no uh, dialogue. I have to qualify that because there, there's some, but it, it it doesn't affect the mechanics of the game, right? It's not uh, it's not necessary. Um, but you just sort of walk through the game and figure it out for yourself. And right, so so here is somebody like a filmmaker who has had to think very deeply, or like a screenwriter. How do I convey the story? How do I not be confusing? Right? Like I think. Even Adam Carolla has talked about this in comedy. You can be a lot of things in comedy, but what you can't be is confusing. If you're telling a joke, it can be crude, it can be politically incorrect, it can be offensive, it can be zany, it can be poignant, it can even be kind of um, sad in some ways. But it has to make sense. Whatever it is, your audience can't just go, what? Right? Like, as a comedian, that's not the response you want. You can't just say, make a statement and go what? Uh, what? And feel confused. You have to be clear. And if your audience just doesn't know what you're talking about, then that is an issue of craft, right? Or if you're telling a story and people literally don't know what you're talking about, like when you just say, uh, oh, and like you just start talking about someone and you've never set them up or introduced them, like people are just not going to know what's going on, right? You have to introduce people. And this is how you know good screenwriting from bad screenwriting is because exposition has to happen. Relationships have to be explained. But you know you're watching a bad movie when it's like, in the first 15 minutes when we're introduced to characters, it's like, oh, you're silly. It's like, oh, well, Jill, you're my sister. You know me better than anybody. You feel like they're they're forcing information on you. Um, a really good filmmaker knows how to convey this information visually, right? Or in dialogue that uh, conveys information without being direct, right? Like that's craft. And especially in a, in a game like The Witness, where there's no dialogue, that's all it is. It's conveying information to you all the time. It's anticipating your um, uh, the information you're bringing to the story, the information you don't have, and that you need. And that how do I provide you with everything you need to play this game without even speaking to you? That takes deep fucking thinking. And yes, the story or the meaning is deep and uh, obscure, but the ride itself has to be very clear. Does that make sense? You have to be given enough to get from A to Z and feel like you're doing what you need to be doing. And when you're watching a movie, like I'm thinking of ending things, you feel like you're being fucked with. You know, there's a difference between something being deep and complicated because that's the nature of the beast, versus it's like someone has made it complicated because literally because they want you to think that they're smart. They want you to think, oh, well, this is beyond me. Someone has created a film and it, this is how it feels to me. It feels like someone has made a piece of art that they want you to think about and they, they, they want you to celebrate for its complexity. It doesn't feel inspired. It's not like David Lynch where someone gets shot and doesn't fall over where you go, oh, shit." it doesn't you don't feel the Tao, man it it doesn't have that the numinous wonder stuff of the cosmos right it it doesn't feel inspired um and I know that's weird kind of hocus pocus creative stuff, but i i I believe in it in some ways, you know um I think in ways that we just can't really control or even articulate we know when something is genuine and we know when something is is not. And although there are, especially the, the female lead in that movie is such a fucking great actress and she does a fucking home run with what she's given, right? But the movie itself is just not that great. And um, yeah, disappointing. But anyway, is what I'm saying making any fucking sense at all? But yeah, it's so weird for me lately to have been thinking so deeply about a guy like Jonathan Blow, who, when I think about, you know, I've alluded to this idea that I, I have this creative project that I myself am sort of uh, terrified of, and, and, um, and uh, yeah, I feel so silly talking about it when I, when I don't even talk about it really at all. But, um, you know, as a former musician, which is a weird thing to say, but, um. You know, you would think my biggest influences are film, and they are, actually, and literature. Um, it's not music, which is strange, usually. My biggest influences are not music, but for some reason, there's something about the witness in that game and just the 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 titan accomplishment that I think it is creatively that is so inspiring to me. Um Yeah, I just think it's beautiful, and it's weird. It's just a it's it's a game that you walk around and solve puzzles, and yeah, you know, I think it's one of the deepest things, you know, I've experienced. I think it's I think it's something that really takes the genre of video games and just you know raises it to the level of high art, you know. And, and, and in a way, I'm just sort of like at this point, I'm just kind of parroting back things that Jonathan Blow has said, but I think it's true, which is you know, games are perishable, right? There are things that we play, and they're kind of interesting for what they are, but they kind of have a very short shelf life part of that is i think is probably like the technology <clears throat> right like you look at a game like mario uh actually you know that's a really i'm try- trying to think of something a little more um dated like games like halo or something that were very cool when they came out but i bet if we went back and tried to play the first halo game it would look fucking ridiculous right or doom doom is a perfect fucking example when I was a kid and Doom came out, it was the fucking shit. You go back and play it; I'm, it's, I'm sure it's a fucking nightmare to look at. Or like a game like Duke Nukem, Duke Nukem 3D was a game that I fucking played a lot as a kid, that I'm sure is a fucking disaster uh, if you went to go back and look at it. But um, but uh, they're not deep. And so when I come across a game like Limbo is phenomenal, but I got to tell you, inside is the fucking is the Jedi level from. Play debt, those developers. Uh, Inside is a fucking phenomenal game. And that is a game like the, not quite to the level of The Witness, but in its own way, is high art and cinematic and really is trying to take, you know, the format of video games and, and really not only say something deep, but to also express yourself deeply, right? Not just to play a game that's fun, like Call of Duty or one of these first-person shooter games or, or like, Grand Theft Auto, that are big and complicated and immersive and, and, you know, huge cultural influence or whatever the fuck it is. But they really are high art, right? And, and it's just something you feel. Like when you watch a certain filmmaker, read a certain book. Like I think I was talking about this in terms of Russian literature. Like when you're reading through Russian literature, you know, you have the classics and they're all good. But when you pick up Gogol, it's, it's palpable how much better it is than everything else around it right? Or when you pick up Tolstoy, it is palpable how much better it is. When you pick up Dostoyevsky, it is palpable on the page how fucking, be- how much better it is. It's just more craft, deeper thinking. Um, uh, they play bigger. And I'm sort of going back to this idea of like considering your audience because Jonathan Blow has talked about like a lot of games like film, you know, they, they do like test plays like films do uh, a test audience and the studios really care about this, right? Like they want to have the biggest appeal they can so that they can make the most money. And they get these like index cards handed back to them, which is like, Oh, I didn't like that character. I, I didn't like that person. So they want to rewrite shit and make everyone happy. But Jonathan Blow has, was saying, you know, in terms of what, what, how do you do deep work? Like you need to get feedback so that you're clear, right? So you need to know that you're conveying the information that you need to convey to people. But you can't trust their judgment about why something isn't good, right? Like people bring different things to things. And even though you could find, excuse me, an army of people, excuse me, that's probably one of those audible bursts we have on this podcast. You could find an army of fucking people who hate this podcast, who would literally feel like every moment of my voice is just nails on a fucking chalkboard, but that's not who this podcast is for, right? And the more you go back and just sort of file the edges off yourself to fucking please as many people as possible, um, the less interesting you are and the less, the less, um, effective you can be, right? And so the people who find this podcast and like it, great. Um, but a game like The Witness, like, I'm sure there's plenty of people who play that and think it's boring or think it's too complicated. Um, but uh, it's pro- maybe it's not made for them, you know? Um, anyway, I actually, I feel like the more I talk about it, I'm, I'm falling into platitudes. Um, maybe I feel like I, I want to be building up to some great, you know, some great summary statement about art or the purpose of art or something, but I don't, um, man, I don't have anything like that. I mean for some reason I'm thinking about I'm taking this anthropology course. And um well, I don't want to make too big a deal about this, but the, you know the, the the highest crime you you can be committed of these days in anthropology and and probably historically too is ethnocentrism. Right? Like you're you're seeing a culture and evaluating them through your own perspective. And I think what we really mean I have to be fair. I was about to go on a rant about how that may be impossible on some level to not be ethnocentric. But, um, that's probably too obvious a point. I think what we mean is when we're ethnocentric, we, we really view our own culture as being the standard for what is normal and what is good. And other cultures are, are not as good by comparison. The point I'm trying to make is, is that, um, uh, ethnographies, you know, these sort of, uh, you know, I go and live with some indigenous people and write about my experience and observe their cultures and relate it, uh, uh, relate it back, right? Um, they, they are fundamentally interpretations, right? That you see from your own perspective. Dude, even as I'm talking about this, I have no fucking idea where I'm going with it, but let's, let's see if it becomes anything. We may crash and burn into the side of a fucking mountain here, but, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that train fucking pulled out of the station. I don't even know where I was fucking going with that. <clears throat> anyway, that's one of those moments that if I went back and listened to it, I would, I would know where I should go, and I would literally hear myself fucking drop the ball and think, "Ah, oh, fuck, man, you had a point there. You just needed, to, you just fucking, you're human. You dropped the ball." I actually, there have, I mean, I go through my week sometimes, and I think about things I said. On the podcast and I, I misspeak so much. Like, I, I don't know if it was the last episode or the other ones, but I said something about the, like, Achaean ships to Troy or something like that. And I was like, the fucking Trojans are the Achaeans. I, I, I mentioned one time talking about, uh, I think I was saying Oscar Wilde, but I was really talking about Orson Welles. Or something like that. I was talking about Orson Welles on the Dick Cabot show, and I think I was saying Oscar Wilde or something like that. I was calling him the wrong person, and it was like, "Dude, you sound like a fucking dumbass." Damn. Yeah, dude, I misspeak all the time. Yeah, and there's nothing worse than misspeaking when you're trying to make a, a point too, or when you're tr- when you're trying to be smart, <laughs> and you sound dumb. Oy. In a way, it actually makes you have more sympathy for for anyone who speaks in public, right? Especially now, God, jeez! now that we're just looking for anyone to make a mistake or misspeak at any time in their life so we can fucking delete them. You just think, dude, if you spend, first of all, if you spend an hour a week with a microphone in front of your face, you're going to say things you're going to regret. If you live in public, like most people do or most celebrities do, oh, Jesus, you can you cut a feature-length film of all the fucking dumb things you say at least... I was actually thinking about this. I know like movies and stuff have like blooper reels, right? So, that's, like, if you ever want to go down a rabbit hole on YouTube and, and have a real laugh, just start looking at bloopers from movies. And there's something because they, you know, it's when people like break character or something and they genuinely laugh. You are, it's like you have to laugh. It's infectious, right? It's a very specific type of laugh. So, I would highly recommend this. Maybe you should bookmark this for yourself. But if you're ever feeling sad, uh try watching bloopers and see if you don't laugh like i feel like that type of laughter is super infectious and and probably cured in, in, in a way but um why don't we have more like when you shoot a film there's so many takes that aren't successful <clears throat> why don't those things leak right and i know that they can edit together blooper reels in a way that's sort of funny and you get this inside looking at the creative process but what checks and balances are in place that we don't have literally like all the takes from like, um, uh, guardians of the galaxy or whatever. Why don't we have those takes just leaked online somewhere? Do you know what I mean? I just feel like, you know, these digital files or these films go through so many hands and throw many so many organizations. If records leak online and I know movies end up on the internet as well, but why doesn't the raw footage get out there? You know what I mean? Why don't, and maybe the cameras weren't rolling, but it's like actors on set. Why don't we have just hours of footage of actors on set just yelling at people in between takes or something? Do you know what I mean? Is that stupid? I don't fucking know, man. I think I thought about this sometimes too, like when a, when an actor or an actress films a sex scene or, or a nudity scene and you can tell that it's shot in such a way that it cuts away right before you see anything and it's probably because that actor or actress had a non-nudity clause where basically they had to like get review on the final cut and make sure that nothing was showing. Um, why doesn't that footage leak? You know what I mean? Like if hackers can break into like... Um, I was going to say Scarlett Johansson, but that's not who I mean. Who was, there was some female actress who had her cell phone pictures leaked. Um, I can picture her. I just can't say her name, the girl from the Hunger Games and all that fucking shit. Um, if someone can hack into your cell phone and get that shit, how can people not have the raw footage of somebody who's been naked on screen in front of a fucking, in a movie studio? Do you know what I mean? Does that stuff just get locked away? Or I don't know. What safety measures are in place so that that footage doesn't get out, right? I don't know. Is this stupid? Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. Who the fuck knows, folks? It's a stream of consciousness. Anyway. Man, well, (laughs) I literally... You know, uh, the last few weeks, I really haven't taken a lot of notes during the week about what to talk about. And this week, I literally have a dozen things in in my little podcast ideas, Google Doc that lives on my computer. I literally have a dozen things. And I told myself when I sat down, make sure you have it in view so you can get to this stuff. I'm now looking at it. We have talked about fucking none of it. The one week I have a fucking litany of things to talk about, I, I get to none of it. I fucking sit here talking about Inception and Jonathan Blow and video games and fucking be real boobies (laughs) that fall out of movie studios or something, you know? Oh, God. And when are we going to do something celebratory, man? Is this just what the podcast is going to be? Am I just going to keep spilling my guts to you folks? Are we never going to have a guest? Sometimes I wonder if just me is too much. Like, maybe I'm one of those podcasters who's better with a guest, right? Like maybe I'm okay, but really my real skill is like bringing other people out of their cage and just sort of, instead of having to fill an hour with my fucking stupid thoughts, if I just sort of pick my moments more carefully, right? Kind of say 10 smart things across the course of an hour. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Maybe I should have a look here. Let's see. Is there anything worth talking about? I do have this one thought that I noted down, which is uh, what I hate. What I hear it all the time now, and it's something that I think people who are not saying something really smart but want to sound smart, especially you get this a lot in social critiques. When somebody describes anything as at best X, at worst Y, right? They say uh, at best it's, un- it's uh, at best it's simply thoughtless. At worst, it's malicious. I can't stand when people fucking frame things that way. Yep. Dude, that's why I don't talk about this shit. I take these notes and I look back and then I go, that's a dumb thing to talk about. Why, why the fuck, why would you write that down? Did you think that was, how much content did you think that was going to give you? (laughs) I just said it done. Now what, what else do I have here? Oh, I hate people who say love you to the moon and back. I, that People who say I love you to the moon and back don't love you. That's a performative like statement of love. People who say I love you to the moon and back, they do not love you. Because to actually say I love you would be a lie. So they have to say something cr- crazy and performative. You know what I mean? Like I had this idea... I had this idea that people who are into something, and so for every birthday or holiday, they get some variation of that theme, right? Like, uh, we had a friend growing up who liked dolphins, and I'm putting that in in quotes. They liked dolphins ostensibly. And so for their birthday or whatever, their boyfriend would always get them a dolphin thing, right? Like a dolphin pillow, a dolphin thing. And it's like, I don't want to beat the guy up, but that is pretty thoughtless, right? Like you've just sort of decided it, it's actually, you've latched onto this thing to save you from having to think deeply about, about buying a, actually buying a thoughtful gift, right? And it becomes this sort of drama that you and your partner clearly have decided to sort of play out for each other with, with whereas this is what a, a, a thoughtful gift is you've latched onto this one aspect of my personality and decided that every gift you give me will sort of be a variation on this theme. It's actually not thoughtful, right? It's not a thoughtful gift. And somebody who says that they love you to the moon and back does not love you. They don't know how to tell you that they actually don't like you. Okay, a little bit of content from that. I also hate people who say that makes my heart smile. Like, we have this thing now in culture where we just can't say things with earnestly. We can't just say the thing that we're trying to say and mean it. We have to couch it in some cute internet speak way. Oh, that gave me all the feels. Dude, just say, oh, that was really touching. Why do we have to talk like we're all fucking 12-year-olds? Why do we have to talk in the same snarky, um, bubblegum internet speak language, right? Like, I was talking, like, it me. What? No, it's not. And dude, the people who, f- the people who fucking reply to people's Facebook shit with like gifs, right? Just fucking say what you mean. Don't give me some fucking, uh, pop culture reference to identify your response to something, you know, like some, some gif of somebody clapping their hands or something, the Shia LaBeouf fucking clapping their hand things. It's like, dude, How creative do you think you're being? That's another one of those things. People think they're being smart or funny. Dude, not smart. Not funny. Stupid. If it's had the power to reach that many people, it's no longer original. Stop saying it. Stop doing it. (sighs) People who just say yes or no, no, this. That's the one I fucking hate, dude. People who just like post something and just they caption it this or all this. It's like, dude, fuck, please. All right, all right. We don't have to be so curmudgeonly, do we? Although, oh, fuck it. Let's just, let, dude, let's just fucking plow through this list. Dude, what's up with Perfect Tease and the comfy everything that people are trying to sell me? Every fucking ad I get on Instagram, there's two things I know. Since TikTok disappeared, which I was never fucking on, Instagram is all in on fucking reels. And if I ever go to the fucking compass thing where I just start showing you shit you might be interested in, Instagram is fucking begging me to start following these fucking thirsty girls on Instagram who just sort of bounce around and do these stupid TikTok videos where they lip sync along to some stupid fucking song and act it out in some fucking the wh- a way that they think is clever. And it's like, dude, I know I'm a guy. I know I'm a middle-aged white dude. And I'm sure all your data points to like, I'm going to like fucking just start following. By the way, I do have a friend of mine. Dude, this is what's funny. Dude, social media is funny because it's like, you ever had that dude Who's liking porn on Twitter, or like uh, liking all the creepy photos on Instagram? And it's like you see them, you know. It's like I have that sort of scroll view on Instagram for the compass, and it's like as I'm flipping through it, I'm getting all these photos, and you just see one of your friends like liking all the kind of pervy photos, and you're like, dude, you just want to like drop in on their DMs and go, hey, dude, that shit's public. Although I will say, I have to. I have to confess, I remember one time on Twitter, I had this sort of app that was like, you could schedule tweets. And I think I even had it as like, sorry, I'm burping here. I had it as a way to like mass delete people I was following. Um... Excuse me. And uh, I also did this thing where you could set it up where you retweet things. Like if people mention you in something or a hashtag something, you can retweet it. And one of them was the Plastic Arts. And I don't know why this fucking photo was fucking hashtagged with the Plastic Arts. But I was going through that feed one day, or maybe my own feed. I was trying to like clean it up, whatever. And I see this photo that was retweeted by me ostensibly, right? That's what it looks like. And it's a fucking animated picture, I mean, I feel gross even talking about it. It was like, um, one of these like Japan animation porn photos of like a girl, like with like a dildo. Right. And I was like, this has been fucking sitting in my, th- like how many people saw this and are like, Oh, that dude just fucking retweeted porn. And you're like, Oh Jesus. Oh man. Anyway, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about. I don't want to end on this fucking... uh, Oh, yeah. What was I talking about? Oh, perfect tees. Yeah, comfy everything. The point I'm trying to get at here is when I go on Instagram, one of the fucking things I see, along with all the TikTok girls that they want me to start following, is they're convinced that my wardrobe is not comfortable enough. I always see these fucking ads for fucking comfy t-shirts. And it's not the same company. There's literally like two dozen companies out there who are fucking vying for the spot to be the mail order shirts or like shirt subscription service, right? Where like every month I get a box of fucking comfy t-shirts and they all say the same thing. The most comfy t-shirt you've ever worn. And it's like, what's wrong with the shirts I have now? How bad could they be? These are the most comfortable socks you'll ever wear. These is the most comfortable underwear you'll ever wear. These are the most comfortable t-shirts. It's like Jesus Christ, man. Does everything have to be fucking big gulp level comfort? Can't aren't things comfy enough? Can't we just stay comfy with what we got? How good do things have to be? Do we have to go mountain devil or <laughs> mountain devil? <laughs> mountain dew level? <laughs> do we have to go mountain dew level comfort? Jesus, do we have to go fucking monster energy drink level comfort with the t-shirts? Isn't just 100% cotton good? Like, I got, dude, I have these t-shirts. First of all, all right, we got to wrap up here soon. But I literally have so many t-shirts with my M logo on them that are just fucking sitting in a plastic tub at my house. Forget about CDs, which are rotting in the corner that nobody wants to buy. Now I have all these t-shirts left over from tour. And it's like, they are, dude, I got to tell you, man, they are the most... It's the most comfortable t-shirt I have. It's an American Apparel some brand. Years ago, I bought this shirt uh, when I saw the National Live that was printed on this t-shirt and it was my favorite fucking t-shirt. It was super fucking comfortable. And so, when it came time for me to make t-shirts, I fucking hate bands who have t-shirts that are super uncomfortable and starchy and they hang awful. And you know that they use that because that was the cheapest one. You know, shirts are fucking expensive, relatively expensive to print but you can do it cheaply. You can get like a thousand shirts for like, you know, for like $2 a piece if you get these super shitty t-shirts. But I was like, I'm going to charge a premium, but I'm going to sell people the most comfortable t-shirt they've ever fucking worn. Like, you know, assuming you like the logo, you will wear this shirt every fucking day. And I'm wearing it right now. Literally it's like part of my fucking standard issue uniform right now. This type of t-shirt. I love it. It it is the most comfortable t-shirt I've ever worn. And I just look at all these ads and go, it can't fucking be. If it is more comfortable, I don't want it. It's like going to have to be part of my uh ascetic practice to deny myself that level of comfort, right? Like that level of comfort is actually not good for me. Anyway, folks, we've gone on for too long here. We got to end it. Um let's go ahead and put a pin on our 1-year anniversary episode. 911 never forget. Um it seems fucking crazy that 911 was Twenty one, is it nineteen? Wait. <laughs> All right, never mind. Don't ask me to do math. It was a long time ago, but it feels like it was just last week. Honestly, and um, and yes, I've said it a few times. I'll just say thanks for for those of you that have been listening the entire year. Thank you for those of you that are just tuning in. That's great, also. Um, the point though is I want you to continue listening. So as happy as I am that people are uh, here today. Um, (laughs) actually the good thing about podcasts is people can hear this a year from now also, but, uh, for anyone who hears this, I'll just put it that way. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, you can on uh, iTunes and Spotify. And if you're able to, please take a couple minutes, rate and review the show. Give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast. And if you can, think of one person in your life who you think would like the show and send them your favorite episode and really let's see as we speed as we sprint toward our goal of 100 episodes uh, let's see if we can't grow the audience a little bit Uh, until then thank you for listening thank you for your time and ciao for now